the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, April the 28th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on April 28, 1967, if you're a boxing fan, you may remember this, heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali was stripped of his title after he refused to be inducted into the United States Armed Forces. Muhammad Ali had been Cassius Clay in his earlier life. He became a Muslim, changed his name, and changed his loyalty. He said no, he couldn't fight for the United States of America. Today in 1788, Maryland became the seventh state to ratify the Constitution of the United States. Today in 1789, there was a mutiny on the HMS Bounty, rebelling crew members of the British ship led by Fletcher Christian, set the captain, William Bly, and 18 of his crew adrift in a launch in the South Pacific. Bly and most of his men, I think a couple of them died, but most of the 18, and Bly for sure, 47 days later, they reached Timor. We remember that incident as the mutiny on the bounty. Today, 1930, the first organized night baseball game was played in Independence, Kansas. Today, in 1945, Italian dictator Benito Mussolini and his mistress, Clara Patassi, they were executed by Italian partisans, mad, angry Italian partisans. They were attempting to flee the country. They didn't make it. They got caught and they killed them. Today, in 1986, the Soviet Union informed the world of the nuclear disaster at Chernobyl. Today in 1988, a flight attendant was killed. More than 60 people were injured when part of the roof of an Aloha Airlines uh, Boeing 747 tore off during a flight from Hilo to Honolulu. I remember the pictures from that. They were daunting. If a person was flying at all, uh, that gave you pause. Yeah, about half the roof, the plane just came off in flight. Five years ago, today, urging Americans to do some soul-searching, President Barack Obama expressed deep frustration with our country over reoccurring black deaths at the hands of police, rioters who responded with senseless violence, and he said a society that would only feign concern without addressing the root causes. A man that should have brought racial healing, at least to some degree. He certainly has the skills, the speaking skills, and he's half black. His father was a black from Kenya, his mother white. But he could have done so much. But he spent his time in office criticizing, demeaning, talking down America. Most of us remember the world tour that he went on, apologizing for America and all of our past sins from the Middle East to Asia. 
telling everybody how bad we are. He could have made a difference, but he didn't. And I will tell you, he created deeper division, racial division. He increased anger toward America, around the world. And he caused peoples of the world to look at America in a different light. It wasn't right, but that's who he is and that's where he's coming from. And I will tell you, I don't have to be a prophet to tell you that he will reemerge in the coming weeks and months. Was there and was talking on his behalf. She was, she was his substitute, basically, and wives can stand in for husbands sometimes, but should they need to when he's running for president of the United States? It was very concerning to see him not really able to function at that level. And the people that are handling him, including Barack Obama, they're behind pulling the strings. Never forget that. But I have good news. Ultimately, they are not in control. God is in control. Isaiah knew that when he wrote in Isaiah 54:10, For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Many years later, Peter would write, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The psalmist put it this way. He said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Indeed. Last night, the director of the Wuhan Laboratory in China was once again saying that no one can know the origin of the coronavirus. Yeah, he said that. He's a doctor. He's the leader. He's the director of this laboratory, one of the most elite laboratories in China, from what I've read. But yeah, he said no one can know the origins. It's a mystery. It's an unsolved mystery. He said, we've already done all the research. It's an unsolved mystery. No one can know. (laughs) But he is vigorously denying for the second time in a week that the Institute is not to blame that the, the virus did not come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He said, these are malicious claims about the lab and they have been, I'm quoting him, pulled out of thin air and contradicted by all available evidence. He rejected theories that the lab had accidentally released a coronavirus it had harvested from bats for research purposes, said the lab's biosecurity procedures were strictly enforced. He said high-level biosafety labs have sophisticated protective facilities and strict measures to ensure safety of laboratory staff, and on and on and on. He said, we didn't do it. Senator Tom Cotton (laughs) is not buying that, and a lot of other people in Congress, thankfully, are not buying it as well. Some are. But he's encouraging people across America to just look at where stuff comes from, and to the best of your ability, stop buying it from China. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just don't buy it when you go shopping. 
I think some have already been doing that for a variety of reasons. But Cotton is asking Americans to be loyal to America and make a statement and not buy stuff from China. And that's very difficult because they have colonized America as far as the supply chain is concerned. And fortunately, that's changing now. But it, 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 it's deeper and wider than most people thought. Our dependence upon China to supply goods, not only ph- pharmaceuticals, certainly pharmaceuticals, but more than that. This guy says the the director of the thing says the accusations against the lab are a conspiracy theory. He said uh, Reuters uh, News is reporting uh, this this morning, and they asked him last night, Reuters News, whether his institute would cooperate with an international inquiry into the pandemic. And this Dr. Wan He said, I am unaware of such a mechanism. (laughs) But he said, the laboratory has already been inspected. (laughs) I think to the rest of us, that means no in English. He said, I hope everyone will put aside their prejudices and biases in order to provide a rational environment for research on tracing the origin of the virus. Not only is... Cotton upset, Senator Cotton, but also Lance Gooden. He's a representative, Congress, uh, Republican from Texas. He introduced a bill. It was was last week. I I can't remember what day, but it was last week. He introduced this bill. The bill is Stop COVID Act, C-O-V-I-D. He's using the word COVID for an acronym. And... um, I don't know if it'll pass or not, but it's on the floor. It's in the record. And that would allow the U.S. Department of Justice, the DOJ, to investigate the origins of the coronavirus outbreak in in Wuhan. Gooden's legislation, it's called Stop and then China-Oriented, no, China-Originated Viral Infectious Disease, COVID, Act of 2020. That would amend the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, FISA, to allow the DOJ to investigate the coronavirus pandemic and allow the DOJ to file claims against the Chinese Communist Party in the United States. We'll keep an eye on that and see where it goes, but it's very, very, very interesting. But once again, aside from the director of this Wuhan, China, the government, the official spokesman for the government, was saying that China itself is the victim of this, not the rest of the world, not the United States, that they're the victim. China always stands, this guy said, and I'm quoting him, China always stands against disinformation campaign. We are victim rather than producer of disinformation, he says. This is a battle for the mind. It's not about the virus. It's more than that. It's a battle for the mind to control people's thoughts. And sometimes you take a step back, being the American that we are, we take a step back and say, Do, does anybody believe this? I mean, these people just blatantly say it didn't come from here when the, event, the, the evidence is abundant that it did. And it isn't that we're trying to blame them. It's just that we're just saying, uh, well, we're looking at this and some of our guys have looked at it and it did come from there. 
But the foreign minister claimed yesterday that the United States government is, quote, hiding something, has lied about the extent of the coronavirus pandemic. And they're saying, quote, when did the first infection occur in the U.S.? Why they adopt, why they opt to blame others, he said. So that's what's going on in regards to what we're experiencing here in the rest of the world as well. They've come under withering criticism, both of it, the way they've handled this coronavirus outbreak and the disinformation campaign that they're waging now. They're just trying to deflect blame from Beijing to anybody and everybody else, but particularly the United States. Clear-thinking Americans would wonder why China's accusations are even worth mentioning. They're so blatantly a lie, by all accounts. But a quick look at facts shows that Not all Americans are clear thinking. And that's part of the problem. uh, Ex-FDA chief Scott Gottlieb, he uh, wrote a long article yesterday, and I'm not going to go through it with you. I don't have time, but it isn't necessary. But he talked about all of the things that are, uh, how Beijing has misled the world about coronavirus. He did an excellent job in uh, his research and kind of putting it all together. Like I said, it's a long article because there's a lot there. But I wrote an article on that today, and I linked, among other things, I linked his story. I think you'll find it informative if you want to know more about that. You can go to that article that we wrote today about this subject at faithandfreedom.us, not .com, but .us. He said they've been, had they been more truthful with the world, which would have enabled them to be more truthful with themselves, they might have actually been able to contain, even in its entirety. Maybe it would never have gotten out of Wuhan if they'd have been up front and if they'd have been honest about it. Even Dr. Deborah Bricks, and she seems to not be very politically motivated. I mean, maybe she is. I think Fashi is. I don't, I'm not, I don't think she, she doesn't appear to be, but whatever. She says that she originally thought coronavirus was going to be like SARS. She said, when I first heard about it, I thought, well, that's going to be another SARS, not a global pandemic, she said, and I'm quoting her, because we were missing a significant amount of data from China. That's why everybody misread this and thought it was going to be something much less than it turned out to be, because China wasn't up front. They never shared this with the world, particularly with the United States. And so this... uh, Gottlieb goes through a whole bunch of stuff like that and gives you a pretty good background on what has happened. But what I want to talk to you for a few minutes about today is could progressives be using this virus and China's misinformation to pull the nation into socialism? I think they are. So does Maria Bartiromo on Fox Business Channel. Sunday, she had Mayor, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio on there, and she said, she just asked him, she said, are you using this crisis to take us into socialism? She was talking to him and about him in the city of New York, but she was also talking in general about you on the left. And he responded, his first response was, oh, Maria, and he said it like that. But she, did, she didn't blink. She continued, she said, I just saw you on a press conference, and you said, quote, the bigger picture of fair recovery for all confronts structural, economic, and racial inequalities. Are you looking to change things that have nothing to do with the coronavirus and we're not impacted by that, Mr. Mayor? 
Then he said, as they always do, he said, Maria, I'm looking to go at the very things that the coronavirus has dredged up. And have we seen it all over the country? There are vast health care disparities that have come up that must be addressed for the good of all of us. It's the right thing to do, but also to have a strong, healthy society. For the greater good, they say. Cheryl Chumley, she's also been looking at this, and she thinks that they're trying to use this as well. So do I, and I think most of you do. In her article, it's in the Washington Times, it's titled, America with Coronavirus Gets a Taste of Socialism. And with it, she posted a picture of a supermarket. It's Ralph's. It's connected with Safeway Corporation. They're owned by the same people. I don't know where all Ralph's is. I know they're in Los Angeles. We used to, when we were there in the church in North Hollywood, we shopped at Ralph's a lot. But uh, they're nice stores, kind of like Safeway, Kroger, that type of thing. There's this picture. It's in Ralph's, and it's a beautiful store, but just as far as you can see, the shelves are empty. And that pretty much it pretty much characterizes where we are today in that regard. Chumley says, socialism, loving millennials, look and take note. The clearing of store shelves, the shuttering of restaurants and nightclubs and bars, these are the outcomes of mass response to the global pandemic called coronavirus. But they're also what befalls when socialism takes over. She says the current stores run across America in the quest of toilet paper and bottled water aren't symbols of a free market. They're panic buys made in reaction to nonstop, contextually devoid media coverage about the deadly coronavirus, to quarantines, to quarantine requirements, to announcements of school closing and business shutdowns that keep stretching and expanding, to government advertisements, press conferences that keep changing tone and content, and most importantly, to the overall unaccustomed atmosphere of fear that grows upon seeing more store shelves in America cleared of items such as toilet paper and bottled water. What she's saying is that the empty shelves themselves become the reason for panic buying, and it is. Why are you buying so much of this stuff? And people will always say when asked, well, I'm afraid they'll run out. I'm stockpiling it. We have it. There's something about all of us that we want to survive. We don't want to not survive. But we're not used to this. We have not seen this before, maybe during the Great Depression. She says it's a good teaching moment for Bernie Sanders fans, for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Well, it is, but Cortez is continuing. Yesterday, she was praising the fact that the oil industry, the back has been broken. She said it has been taken down, even though it costs thousands of jobs and our our society operates on energy. She said, this is the opportunity. She said this yesterday. This is the opportunity for us to push our new green deal forward. I'll tell you, this is more than about a virus. I mean, it is about a virus, no question. But boy, there is a secondary agenda behind this thing that it, it we've just got to be aware of it. There's a story, Daniel... D. Martino, he's a, a Venezuelan guy. And in her story, Chumley writes about him. I think USA Today did a feature article on him a while back because I remember part of this story. But I'll give you just a brief note of it. 
He says, when I was 15 years old, he said it was 2014 in Caracas, Venezuela. That's his home. He was born and raised there. He said he's a college student here now, but he said, I had spent more than an hour in line waiting. When I got to the register, I noticed I had forgotten my ID that day. Without the ID, the government rationing system would not let the supermarket sell my family the full quota of food we needed and had been allotted. It was four days until the government allowed me to buy more. And that was just the bare minimum. Martini says he lived with socialism until 2016 when he was able to come to the United States legally as a student. He says socialism destroyed my country. It was never like that before socialism. The government seeking to redistribute necessary products in a fair and equitable manner, he said, imposed price controls, nationalized the most important private industries, took over the free market, hampered the individual's ability to create and produce. He says the shortages went far beyond the supermarket. He said the government nationalized electricity to make electricity free, and everybody rejoiced until it didn't work. And he said, unsurprisingly, this resulted in underinvestment in the electrical grid. By 2016, he said, my home regularly lost electric service at least once a week because electricity was, quote, free. What's interesting is that the government never once said that it was the goal to destroy a nation or to shepherd power into the hands of a few of the elite. Bernie Sanders doesn't say that. Ocasio-Cortez doesn't say that. Barack Obama, who's at least half socialist, he doesn't say that. They're always pitching a utopia, a better day, a sunrise, and all of that kind of thing. But that isn't where socialism leads. The official message of Venezuela's guiding geniuses, back when they were twisting it and turning it toward socialism, was that they were going to help the downtrodden. They were going to, I'm quoting from some of their speeches, open the doors of opportunity to all, ensure everybody gets a fair share of the pie. The official message was one of equality and justice and fairness for all, not for the just the rich. Does that sound vaguely familiar to you? That's what Reverend Jim Wallace says. That's what Barack Obama's pastor preached from the pulpit. That's what the religious left, the social justice theology, it echoes that very socialist dictator in our world today. I don't know if they know what they're saying or not. They apparently do. But I will tell you that it isn't only the secular progressives like the AOCs and those folks and Bernie and all of those guys. This message is penetrating the church, and that's concerning to me. Because despite the best efforts of liberals, they're trying to twist Jesus. And I'm, I'm saying this with profound humility and honor to the Lord. But they're trying to twist Jesus into being some kind of a socialist. And he wasn't. One of the most well-known parables that he taught, and he taught many of them, is in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Jesus lays out the truth. The model, God's model, for this kind of thing. My friend Brian Fisher with American Family Association has done a lot of research on this. He has found and, and 
authenticated that a talent was not a small amount of money in the parable of the talents. In fact, in fact, one talent represented about 20 years of wages for the average labor, which in today's economy would be about $600,000. So the first employee is being handed $3 million to invest. In other words, the hero in Jesus' story is a rich guy, not a poor guy. Imagine that. But it's true. Read the parable. In Jesus' story, the rich businessman called his servants together and entrusted them with his property. It was his own property. He owned the means of production. It did not belong to the village or the government. The capital used in the economic exchange was totally and entirely in private hands. And what he did with his wealth was clearly nobody's business but his own. This is Jesus' teaching. He and not some government bureaucrat decided who would be entrusted with his economic resources. According to these liberals like AOC and Bernie and the rest of them, Jesus should have had this man distribute his resources to each according to his need. He should not be entrusting money to people based on ability, but rather he should be extracting it from them based on ability. Jesus turns that completely on its head by giving to each according to his ability. You can look that up. Reverend Jim Wallace and these guys travel around all over the country, and they're teaching this from pulpits and churches. This is not the politicians in Washington, D.C. with a personal agenda to acquire their own personal wealth while they flatten out everybody else's possibilities. What I'm saying is this is being taught in churches around America today by Jim Wallace and Tony Campolo and Brian McLaren and all these guys on the left. Avoid them at any cost. Don't attend a church that advocates that because that stands in absolute contradiction to what the Bible teaches and what Jesus himself taught. Jesus was basing the parable of the talents on merit, not on need. And that's the difference between capitalism and socialism. And that's what's going on in our country today. The accountability in this story does not rest with some government agency. It remains in private hands. The entrepreneur who called the the servants together upon his return, he settled the accounts. Jesus' businessmen would surely agree with the founders of this nation. We have an unalienable right to the pursuit of happiness. We don't have a right to have have it all, abortion and all of us have an equal salary and all of that thing. That's crazy, and it doesn't work. You can look at Venezuela, but you can look at every country in the, in the history of this world. And when the people become dependent upon the, the government, the government becomes more corrupt than it's ever been before, and the people suffer. That isn't God's plan for the human race. It isn't God's plan for America. And it's not about greed. It's about truth. And Jesus laid this out. I wish I had more time to go into more detail with this. But the story, in this story, capital is in private hands. The owner of the capital is free to invest it as he chooses to entrust his private resources to anyone he wishes. Economic game comes through investment, risk-taking, smart choices. That doesn't fit with socialism. And there's much more. But we're out of time. We'll continue this tomorrow. In the meantime, we need your support. We would not be here without it. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009.
1-800-273-0009. Thank you for standing with us. These are trying times, and I think they're prophetic times. So thanks for standing with us. See you tomorrow.